It's, it is good to be with you today. I want to thank all of you for joining us, whether you're here in person or whether you're out in the tent or watching online. You know, God is doing some really great things here at our church. And um, I tell you, it just really warms my heart uh, to be here and to be part of this. Um, I love all of you guys so much. Um, anyways, you know, we've been in a series here. If you're joining us for the first time, especially if you're joining us for the first time, thank you. You are special to us. Uh, we've been in a series here called God versus Satan. And uh, we've been endeavoring to uh, show you what the Bible has to say about this long war with, with God. And uh, before I, I begin today, I want to give you just a little bit of a heads up, especially if you're a parent here with small children. Uh, I would say that today's message, the subject matter, is not suitable for small children. I just want to let you know that. Um, and in fact, if I were to rate the entire series, I probably would give it a PG-13 rating because some of the things that we talk about when we talk about the enemy and what he's up to um, is hard to hear. And uh, again, I don't want to, you know, cause anything I say to have, you know, get your children to have uh, nightmares and all that kind of stuff. So I just want to give you that heads up. Just be aware of that. You know, the reality is we are in a war. We really are. And it's hard to fathom that, but, but there's a war going on. And it isn't a fight just between God and Satan, but it's also one that involves every one of us. Satan versus us. He's against us. In fact, this morning, um, I don't know if you heard the news, but we, I woke up to the news that yesterday, 17 American missionaries were abducted and killed, including their children, in Haiti. And um, I can't help but believe that the devil's fingerprints were all over that. Uh, I, hope it's, I hope the news turns out not to be true, but that's what they're reporting today, and some very evil things are going on there in Haiti. So um, I want to ask, I want to begin our time in, in prayer for them. Um, and so we're going to cover, we're going to talk about things like that. There's a real war. So again, grab your Bibles, open up our South Bay Community Church app. If you don't have it, you can download it from the Google Play or the Apple Store and have a pad of paper handy so that you can take notes because we're going to cover a lot of things and you might want to write it down so that you can remember it and refer back to it. But I want to pray first and I want to ask you, pray for this, let's pray for the families of these missionaries um, and that somehow through this um, that God would be glorified. I also want to ask you to pray for the, the Afghan lady that, uh, that we have given, uh, been given charge over, she is, I haven't met her yet, Cheryl's been there quite a bit, and she is a, a young mother, can't say much, she is a young mother, and unfortunately, because she had to leave Afghanistan so quickly, uh, her husband is still there, and her two young children are still there, and so she's absolutely heartbroken to be separated from them, as you can only imagine. I mean, we're 8,000 miles away, probably. And then, a few days ago, news broke that uh, a suicide bomber uh, blew himself up at a mosque in Kandahar, uh, killing, last I heard, 47 uh, Muslim worshipers. Her brother-in-law was killed in that bombing. And, and her young brother was also, was injured in that bombing. And um, her, uh, I'm going to call her Sally. I'm not, I'm not sure that we can use her name yet, so I'll just call her Sally. Sally's um, brother-in-law, who lives a couple hours away, has been helping out. His, his, I understand one of his relatives was also in that mosque and was killed. You know, and it's, when we hear about these kinds of things, it's easy to, to feel kind of aloof and like, well, that was there, that was... You know, that's just news, and it's, it doesn't really affect me. But when we heard that her own family members were affected by this bombing, that hits very close to home. And so she is absolutely, the last few days, I mean, she has been so, I mean, smiles all the time when Cheryl has seen her, when Pastor Dan has seen her, because she's so blessed by all the things that you've provided for her. I mean, she went into an empty apartment, and, and we furnished it. You furnished it for her. 
But the last couple days since this news broke, she has been absolutely distraught, as you can only imagine. So let's pray for her, pray for Sally. Also, you know, we've lost some very special people in our church recently. Helen Sellers, who's part of our church for 10 years, I did her service yesterday. She went home to be with the Lord in July, actually. And then um, about 10 days ago, we lost a great man in our church, Cesar Lorenas. I, I think uh, his wife, Karen, and son, Chris, are here today. And, you know, it has just been so difficult for them. And then, and then uh, Elisa Urbina lost her mom as well. And so I want to ask you, let's, let's open up our time in prayer. We've got some things to pray for. And, and that's why we come together as a church, right, to worship, hear God's word, but also to pray. And we turn to the Lord uh, for his help and for his ministry to us during a time like this. Okay, so let's open up our prayer and then we'll get into the message. Well, Father, thank you so much. It's so good to be here. And Father, I can't think of anywhere else I'd I'd rather be than right here with your people in your your house. Um, And God, we, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a big and sovereign God God who is completely in control of all the things that are going on in the world. And frankly, God, there sometimes when things go down as they do, we just, we just don't get it. And it's just so heartbreaking to see uh, the brokenness of the world that we live in. It's hard to, it's hard to fathom how, uh, how, um, how lost people are and how evil people are. Father, we, we think of the fact that 17 missionaries and their children. We hope the news is not true, but apparently they were taken yesterday and killed by this gang in, in Haiti. And Father, we can't even imagine what that's like for their families, that they would go off and devote themselves to serve you and then lose their lives in the process. And Father, we, we ask that somehow through that terrible situation, your name, Jesus, would be glorified in the nation of Haiti. And um, we pray, Father, for the, for you, we ask that you would comfort their family members and that you would touch them. And um, we pray, God, that you too, you would also intervene in that nation that is very, very dark. And we ask, God, that somehow you would have your way with the people of, with the, with the Haitian people and that you, your name would be magnified and glorified and that nation would, would turn to you and follow you. And Father, we, we pray that for Afghanistan as well, and it's, it seems so far removed from us. But Father, it hit it really close to home when, when we saw Sally so distraught over the loss of her loved ones in this, in this terrible bombing. And Father, though, though they are of a different faith, we, we, lift, we lift Sally up to you and, and ask God that she would, she would, in this whole process, come to, to find that Jesus, you are the Son of God, you are the Savior of the world, and that you can provide comfort and care for her in, in the only ways that you can. And Father, we pray too for your divine intervention that somehow you would make it possible for her brother and her children and her husband to make their way here to the United States as well. And Father, we lift up Karen and Chris and, and Lisa, Elisa and, um, and Helen's family. God, as they are continue to reel from the loss of a loved one. How we, how we are so comforted in knowing that, that you take us to be with you. But Father, we, I know that each family member, whenever we lose a loved one, we, the emptiness and the ache within us stays for, for such a long time. I don't know that it ever goes away. And, and so I pray there you would fill that void and that emptiness and bring comfort to each and every one of them. So Father, I know that there are other people who are suffering and hurting at a time like this in our church. Father, extend your grace and your favor and your comfort to each and every one of them. Give them the strength, um, give them the power to get through these difficult times. And now, Lord God, we commit our time to you and ask that you would speak to us. I pray that, Father, as we get into this very difficult topic, that what would get out of this is that your word is absolutely amazing, that the things that you say in it It all comes together. It all makes sense. It may not make sense to us all the time, but it makes sense. Um, And help us to see that. Help us to understand a little bit more today uh, as we leave this place. So thank you, Father. Look forward to what you're going to do. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, through the years, there have been times when I have been in places where, where I have 
sense the unmistakable presence of evil. For example, many years ago, I walked into, you know, I love books, I love to read. So whenever I see a bookstore, I got to go in the bookstore. But many years ago, I remember walking into a bookstore right here in Hermosa Beach. And the moment I walked in that bookstore, I sensed a heaviness on my spirit. And so I quickly glanced around the room to look at the books that were on the bookshelves. And I noticed quickly that it was stocked with books on black magic, white magic, astrology, the occult, and assortment of other things. And as soon as I saw that, I made a 180-degree turn and I made a beeline for the door. I came across another bookstore just like that in Westwood. Didn't know what it was by the name of the bookstore on the outside, but it was a bookstore, so I walk in. As soon as I walked in, I sensed a dark presence. And so as soon as I walked in, I didn't even look at the books. I just said, nope, and I walked right out. And uh, that's happened quite a few times. Uh, Our worship leader today, Matt Sekijima, when we were in Japan, um, I met my dad's cousin for the very first time. And he took us on a a quick tour of his prefecture. And uh, he wanted us to see a temple in all, and, and of all places, Obama, Japan. Uh, it's probably pronounced Obama, but Obama, O-B-A-M-A, Japan. He took us there, and he wanted us to see this temple because he said it's absolutely amazing. It's a, it's a historical site because it was built a 1,000 years ago. And it truly was very, very old. And then, uh, much to our chagrin, he opened the door. I thought it was closed. He opened because it was so old. He opened the door and he showed us in. Inside, there were a half dozen or so very large, very large idols that looked like demons. Didn't even look like Buddha. They looked like demons. And I immediately turned to Matt and I whispered to him, put on the full armor of God. Put it on right now. And we did. And we're going to talk about that in a message here in a few weeks, probably. And we put on the full armor of God because the place felt very, very, very dark. In fact, the first day that we were there in Japan, we were strolling around the plaza in Narita, and to our delight, we came across some Korean Christians who were there singing worship songs in the plaza. And we stood with smiles on our face, and we watched with delight, and then out of nowhere, a woman came and literally gave Matt a body slam and said something kind of sinister to him. And I thought, we thought to ourselves, we were shocked, and we thought to ourselves, they probably know we're here. And, um, and so that was another experience. And then, and then when I was in Japan with Pastor Greg, I'm not going to offer details, but um, I was convinced that we were visited by a demon in our hotel room about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, Japan is full of, I believe, it's full of demons because of all the idol worship, the shrines and the altars that they have literally everywhere you go. Now, I'm not trying to freak you out with these stories. I share them with you to illustrate that we are not alone in this world. We are not alone. We live in a world that is inhabited by spirit beings that, for the most part, we cannot see. Last week, we learned that there are angels among us. There are angels among us, and that's a good thing because they're good. But today, I wanted to tell you about their wicked counterparts, and that's demons. Now, perhaps you're a skeptic, and you don't believe in angels and demons. Maybe you don't even believe in God. But just because you can't see them doesn't mean they're not real, and it doesn't mean they're not there. For example, I have in my hand a laser pointer, all right? And I've got the laser pointer on right now, but as you look at the laser pointer in my hand, you do not see a red beam shooting up from the laser pointer up to the, uh, to the ceiling. Well, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. In fact, if you look a little more carefully, right about there, you'll see the little red dot, and that will tell you, or I'm going to put it on this wall right here, that's better, you will know that there is, in fact, a light there, even though you don't see it. Well, the same is true with angels and demons. Last week, we learned that angels are ministering spirits. We can't see them, but we know they're there. Uh, And with demons, they're not ministering spirits. They are evil spirits. 
and you may not see them, but they are there. And they oppose God, they are against God, and they are against us. They oppose us. Here's how the Apostle Paul described it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Take a look at it and put all the verses up here for you as well. But Paul wrote, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this dark, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All right, so Paul said that we are at war with rulers and with authorities, with against cosmic powers, against spiritual forces of evil. We are at war against the devil himself. Abraham Kuyper, who was a theologian and the prime minister of the Netherlands, once wrote, he said, if once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual war behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem by comparison a mere game. And I think he's absolutely right. If we could see what's going on behind the scenes, if we could see what's going on in the spirit world, we would be absolutely astounded at the conflict that is taking place. You know, and it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this because we don't see bombs exploding, we, we don't see missiles going off, but believe me, we are at war. And so when did this war begin? That's what I talked about two weeks ago. The war began... In heaven, the scriptures tell us that the war between God and, and Satan began in heaven when an angel named Halal, Hebrew word for Halal means morning star, when the morning star, an angel named morning star, rebelled against God. Remember that? We, he rebelled against God, and of course, God cast him out of heaven. Well, I want you to take a, re, take a look at Revelation 12, 9, and I want to show you what else or who else was cast out of heaven with him. And it says, verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So there it is right there. His angels were thrown down with him. You see, when Hillel rebelled against God, he recruited a host of other angels to join him in the insurrection. And after they were defeated, not only was Satan thrown down to earth, but all of the angels that joined him in the rebellion against God, they were thrown down with him. Now, all this begs the question, how many angels were thrown down to heaven? In other words, they became demons. How many demons came down to earth, brother? Well, the apostle John gives us the answer in Revelation 12, verse 4. So if you look up in Revelation, verse 4 says, His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. The word stars there refers to angels. Angels are referred to stars. Hallel was the morning star. So they were angels. They were stars. And a third of all the angels in heaven, it says here, were cast down to earth and they became demons. Now... The question is, how many was a third? Well, uh, in order to ascertain how many, what the third was, we have to know how many angels there are. Right? How many angels are there in heaven? Well, in the New Testament book of Revelation, John described a glorious scene in the throne room of God. Let me put it up here for you. Revelation 5.11, John wrote, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living, and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. All right, so here we have a picture of the throne room of God. And in the throne room of God, there are, John saw myriads of myriads of angels, thousands of thousands of angels. The word myriad in the Greek means 10,000. Myriad was the highest number that the Greeks had in their language. They don't have a word such as the word million. They don't have billion in their language. They don't have trillion in their language. The highest number they have in their language is myriad. And in the case here, it says myriad of myriad. It means 10,000 times 10,000. That's what it means here. 10,000 times 10,000 equals 100 million. And notice, however, that the word is plural. It's not singular. So it's myriads of myriads, which means it's more than 10,000 times 10,000. That's how many angels he saw in the throne, gathered in the throne room of God. Clearly, the idea here is there, that there were too many angels for him to count. So many angels. 
The number of angels could be potentially in the billions, ten thousands times ten thousands. And we don't know exactly what that number is. Now, let's say, for the sake of argument, that there are 100 million angels. He saw 10,000 times 10,000. We'll take the singular. That means 100 million angels, right? That's the minimum number. Now, if there are 100 million angels, we put that number up here for you. In order to get to a third, you have to start with 150 million angels. If there are 150 million angels, a third of that would be 50 million angels. And then that leaves us with 100 million. So it means that if there were 150 million angels, 50 million of them, one third of them, were cast down to earth as demons. And then there are 100 million left in heaven. But let's say that number is a billion. Let's say that there are a billion angels in heaven. All right? In order to get to a billion, you'd have to start with 1.5 billion. 1 billion 500 million. Because a third of that would be 500 million. So 500 million, imagine 500 million being cast down to earth as demons, and that leaves us with 100 or 1 billion, yeah, 1 billion angels. All right, I hope that gives you the idea. The point of this exercise is to show you that millions and perhaps billions of demons have invaded the world that we live in today. Now, and again, we can't get a fix on the exact number because it doesn't tell us, but I have to believe it is a mind-blowing number. Now, hold on to your hats because it's about to get even more interesting. Um, again, you might want to write this down, but there are two primary classifications of demons in the world. There are two classifications of demons in the world. There are demons that are loose in the world, which means they are, they roam the earth, willy-nilly, they roam the earth and foment trouble, and then there are demons that are bound, they are bound in hell, and they're prohibited from doing anything. Let me explain. After the devil and a third of his angels in heaven were cast down to earth, they got to work right away fighting God. They attacked anyone and anything that God loved, starting with Adam and Eve. God, and after God created Adam and Eve, people began to multiply. They began to multiply. They started having babies, and they had more babies, and people started populating the earth. And then something absolutely hideous and demonic went down. Turn to Genesis chapter 6, and for this one, I'd really like for you, if you have your Bible, to turn to Genesis chapter 6. It's the first book in the Bible. And I want you to turn there and keep your finger there because we're going to refer to it quite a bit here. But this is a, a very startling scene here. It says, starting in verse 1, when man began to multiply in the face of the, uh, of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. All right, so let me get a swig of water. So people began to multiply. After Adam and Eve, even after their fall, they began to multiply, started having children. <coughs> Here's... Here's what I want you to look at, verse 2. <clears throat> verse 2 says, The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Now, first glance, this is a fairly innocuous statement, fairly innocuous verse. But notice the juxtaposition of the phrase sons of God and the phrase daughters of man. Who were the sons of God and who were the daughters of men? Well, the daughters of men, it's pretty easy to figure out. The daughters of men are girls or women. They're born of men, right? The sons of God, however, it's kind of a different story. Now, notice it doesn't say that, I mean, if, if the sons of God were men, this should have said, that the sons of man were like, um, uh, instead of saying sons of God, it should have said sons of man. And then we would have known that they were, they were boys or they were men. 
uh, like daughters of men, right? But it doesn't say that. It says that they were sons of God. Now, notice that the word sons is not singular. It is plural, meaning this is not about Jesus. He was the son of God, right? So these are sons of God. One of the principles of hermeneutics, in other words, interpreting the Bible, is that when you come across a, a word or phrase you don't understand, you look at other verses in the Bible to see how it's used in other places. So let's do that, all right? Sons of God. We're going to take that phrase, sons of God. How is it used? In the book of Job, Satan showed up before God to get his permission to test Job. Remember that? Job 1, verse 6 says, now there was a day when the sons of God, oh, there it is, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them, right? The sons of God came with Satan. This, I believe the sons of God is a reference to angels, specifically demons. In fact, the NIV translation says, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with him. And we see this again in Psalm 89, verse 6. Psalm 89, 6 says, For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? The word mighty, Hebrew word for mighty is El, which is the name of God. Like Emmanuel, right? God with us. El is God. And this is the Hebrew word for mighty is God. So more specifically, the sons of the mighty can actually be translated the sons of God. Just like in Genesis chapter 6, verse 2. And what did the sons of God do? What did they do? They were angels. They were demons, actually. This is the abomination. Take a look at verse 2 again. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man, women in other words, were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. The demons, demons took women as their wives. That's what it says here. They took women as their wives. And then if you look at the end of verse 4, it says, and they bore children to them. And they bore children to them. This is sick. Not in a good way like I use it, but in a very depraved kind of a way. This is sick. What's the lesson here? Be careful who you go on a date with. No, I'm kidding, right? No. Now, we don't know how the demons pull this off because demons are spirits and they don't have a body. But we do know from the scriptures that demons can inhabit a body. The word we often use to describe that is possession. There are a lot of people, you know, in the, in the gospels that G, that's written about who were possessed and Jesus had to come and expel the demons out of them. There are, we know from scriptures that demons can inhabit. They can take over a human body. It is also possible for demons to take the form of a man. Now, that's a scary thought, but they can take the form of a man. For example, in Genesis 18, Abraham had an encounter with three, quote-unquote, men. And at least two of them that we know of were angelic beings, which means they took the form of a man. And then we know from the Garden of Eden that the devil took the form of a snake or a serpent. Right to tempt Eve. So we know it's possible for evil spirits to take the form of other creatures, probably including men. In the case of Genesis 6, we don't know the specifics of how demons married women and made babies, but they did. That's what this tells us. But here's what you need to know. The result of the union between demons and humans were the Nephilim. They gave birth to these creatures called the Nephilim. Let me put verse 4 here up here for you again. It says, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. In the Hebrew, the word Nephilim is the word nafal, which means to fall. In other words, the Nephilim were the fallen ones. They were the fallen ones. And let me describe them for you very quickly. The Nephilim were these giant hybrid creatures that were half human and half demon. You Hawaiians like to call them hapa, right? They were half man and half demon. What a chilling and terrifying thought. 
And that's why I am so thankful that this next verse, verse 3, is here in Genesis chapter 6. Take a look again at verse 3. And it says, And then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. I am so glad this verse is in here, aren't you? Because in it, God threw down the gauntlet. He threw down the gauntlet, and basically what he said here was, I'll give you 120 years to clean up your act, and if you don't, I'm going to bring down the hammer on you. That's basically what he was saying in verse 3. I'll give you 120 years to straighten up your act, and after that, judgment is coming. And here's what he said nine verses later, Genesis 6, verse 12. And it says, And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And so God said that he was going to destroy the world and anything in it if people didn't get right with him. And then God proceeded to tell Noah, Noah, I want you to get ready build me an ark because he was going to send rain and there was going to be a flood and uh, everything would be wiped out. So right there in the desert, somewhere in the desert, Noah started building an ark and he was at it for years building this huge, massive structure and people came from all over and they said, hey, old man, what are you doing? Well, I'm building an ark. What's an ark? Because they had no idea. Well, I'm building it because it's going to rain. What's rain? Because it had never rained. Now, I don't know if that's what they really said. That's just my conjecture. But it was true. They had no idea what rain was because it had never rained until that point. And then one day, sure enough, the rains came. The rains came. And do you know when it came? Do you know when it started to rain? 120 years after God told Noah to start building the ark. 120 years after God said in Genesis 6, 3, my spirit will not remain with man forever because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his day shall be 120 years. God gave them 120 years to get their act together, to clean up their act, and to get right with God, to re repent from sin and turn from sin and turn to him. He gave him 120 years because he's a very patient God. And he also gave him 120 years because that's how long it took Noah to build the ark. He gave him 120 years, and then after the 120 years was up, God saw nothing changed. And so the rains came and the floods came, and it wiped out every living creature on the face of the earth except for those that were in the ark. Now, here's what I don't want you to miss. We often think that God brought the flood because of man's wickedness, and he did. He came to, to destroy man because of his wickedness. But he also brought the flood to wipe out all of the half-demon, half-man creatures that were running around on planet Earth. He came to destroy the Nephilim. And now with them gone, Noah and his family, once they landed their ark on, the, on Mount Ararat, they could now repopulate the Earth without Satan's DNA in the human bloodline. Can you imagine if the Nephilim weren't wiped out, that there could be demonic DNA in our bloodline because of that? There's more. Take a look at Genesis 6, 4 again. Isn't it amazing how much is packed into these verses? Let me read it to you. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Did you catch those two words? Also afterward. Also afterward. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. Whoa. Wait a minute. I thought you said they were wiped out. Well, they were. But just like the Terminator who said, I'll be back, they came back. And why did they come back? And how did they come back? They came back because the flood couldn't kill a single demon. Because demons are spirits. And you can't kill a spirit. And so after Noah began repopulating the earth, the demons went back to work. And I believe that once again, they took women as wives, had sexual relations with them, and bore children who were the Nephilim. 
And this explains why when Joshua sent spies into the promised land, they came back and reported, Joshua, we see Nephilim. There are Nephilim in the promised land. Now, mind you, this was after the flood when all the Nephilim were destroyed. But here they are making a reappearance in the promised land. And now take a look at God's directive to Joshua on what they were to do, what Joshua was to do when they went in to conquer the promised land. Deuteronomy 20, verse 16. It says, however, in the cities of the nations, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, in other words, the land of Canaan, the promised land, the land that's flowing with milk and honey. In the cities of the nations, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave alive anything that breathes. Joshua, in other words, Joshua, when you go in there, you kill everything. You destroy everything. You know, and oftentimes we've, we've, we'll read things like this and we wonder, why would God tell them to go in there and kill everything? I mean, babies? You're, you're talking about children? You kill, kill them all? Teenagers? Kill them all? God's instruction was to kill everything so that all the Nephilim that were in the land would also be wiped out. And they were a second time. But the problem persisted because Joshua couldn't kill demons because they're spirits. Which means that even after all the Nephilim were gone for the second time, demons could still come up and take women as, as, as their wives and have more children, more Nephilim. And so it begs the question, did they? It begs the question, could there be any more half-demon, half-human creatures walking on the earth today? Probably some of you think there are because you probably live, to somebody who's, you know, live next to somebody who might seem like a demon. But the answer is found, the actual, we got the answer. The answer is actually found in the New Testament book of Jude. And Jude was, was, um, was the half-brother of Jesus. And in Jude 6, he wrote something about demons that is absolutely riveting. And let me put it up here for you. Jude is only one chapter long, therefore it doesn't have any chapter designations. No need to say Jude 1, Jude 2, Jude 3. It's only got one chapter, so it's just Jude and the verse. All right? Here's what Jude verse 6 says. And the angels who do not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now let me explain something to you. Satan and his angels can't do anything unless God allows them to. They don't have any authority, any power, except that which is given to them by God. You might recall that the only reason why the devil was able to test Job and afflict him as he did was because God allowed him to. And God laid down the parameters. He says, okay, here's what you can do. Here's what you cannot do. Here's what you can do to Job, but you, you cannot do this to Job. Well, apparently... We can't be absolutely certain of this because it's not explicit in the passage. It's more implicit. Apparently, this passage implies that God laid out parameters for the demons on what they could do and what they couldn't do when they were cast down to earth. Here's what you can do and here's what you can't do. And again, it's, it's implied. It's not explicit. And one of the things they couldn't do was invade the human realm. In other words, demons were not allowed, you, know, you cannot invade the human realm. You've got to stay in the spirit realm. You, in other words, you can't go out and marry humans and have babies. Only humans can do that. They had to stay in their spiritual realm. But a bunch of demons didn't. They didn't do that. They didn't stay within their position, their own position of authority. Therefore, rather than allow the demons to continue to remain loose upon the earth, God gathered them up, these particular demons. He gathered them up and he cast them and bound them into hell. I want to show you Jude 6 again. Now it makes, hopefully it makes sense. And it says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. The New Living Translation, which is a paraphrase, put it this way. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of the authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. The Apostle Peter put it this way. He said, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment day, which is at the very, very end. Right. What this clearly tells us is that there are demons today that are bound in heaven. There are demons that are loose 
But there are also demons. When they were cast out of heaven, there were demons that went, that were shortly afterwards bound into, into hell. They're not loose. Therefore, in answer to the question, could there be any half-demon, half-human creatures walking the earth today? The answer, I believe the answer is no. I believe the answer is no because the demons who perpetrated that dastardly deed, having sex with humans, have been rounded up and thrown into hell, waiting for their judgment. Now, this may provide a little bit of comfort, a little bit of solace, knowing that, you know, there isn't some weird creature out there. But I would remind you that there are still millions, if not hundreds of millions, if not billions of demons still roaming the earth, wreaking havoc on the earth. And next week, we'll tell you what some of them are up to. So to sum it up, two categories, there are two categories of demons, those that are loose and those that are bound, right? Let me wrap it up with this. Many years ago, uh, we were doing a series here on world religions. It was, it was my turn to be up, and so I was working on the message, and um, in preparation for the sermon, um, I was speaking on a particular religion, and I'm not going to mention which religion it was, not necessary, but in preparation for the message, I, I went to multiple websites um, that were directly associated with this particular religion, religion because one of the things I like to do is I, I try to, I research everything thoroughly, and so that if somebody, if, you know, if a particular religion says, okay, we, we believe this, well, I, I don't just take that at face value, I, I look at it, I look to go to the website, what are they really saying? Do they really say that? I, I confirm everything uh, so that I'm presenting to you that which I believe is truth. Um, so for this particular religion, I went to multiple websites uh, to see exactly what they said about themselves and what they believe. And some of the, way, the websites that I went to had a very dark and menacing feel to it very dark, and so I'd try to get my information and I'd leave as quickly as I could. Well, it was around Thursday evening, around midnight, I was at the office by myself. This is when our offices were on Amapola Avenue over here, and I was clocking away at my keyboard, writing my message, and the only thing that I had open on my computer was my Word document, Bible Gateway, and a PDF file uh, of a Christian book on world religions. Not a secular book on world religions, but a Christian book on world religion. That was it, those were the only thing, three things I had open on my computer. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, out of my computer speakers, came this very loud and fierce sounding growl. And it just shook me up. It shook me up and it's, it's it's hard to describe, and I can't duplicate it. It didn't sound like a canine growl, but it had an otherly world kind of sense to it. It was very evil, and it was very distinct. And I've never heard a growl like that in my life before. I shut off the speakers immediately. Not that it needs speakers um, if it wants to say something. I checked to see what was open on my computer so I could figure out where the growl came from. I thought maybe I had left a YouTube uh, page open or maybe an Instagram video page open and I thought maybe you know, it came from there. But none of those sites were open. The only three, only three that are open, Microsoft, The Christian Book, and, and Bible Gateway. And that's when I realized where this growl came from. It was a demon. I'm convinced it was a demon. And the growl sent chills up my spine. It made me shudder. And uh, it, it would have made the hair on the back of my neck stand up if I had hair on the back of my neck. And I prayed out loud immediately. And as quickly as I could, I shut everything down, gathered up my stuff, grabbed my keys, turned off the lights, went downstairs, and I got out of there. And I went home. And I went home, I, I got downstairs, and of course the parking lot's very dark, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm here all by myself, and oh Jesus, Jesus, and got in the car, I didn't want to look in the rearview mirror, because I thought, I didn't want anything to pop up in the back seat. I cranked up the worship tunes, and I sang as loud as I could, how great is our God, I'll be just all the way home, just singing praises to God. And you know what the lesson here is? Don't work at the office till late by yourself. No, the real, the real lesson is, 
be careful what websites you go to because you never know when a demon can latch on to you. That's a good reason to stay away from pornography websites. And it's not just websites, but it's anything. It could be the people you hang out with. It could be the places you go. Be careful what you expose yourself to. And we'll talk more about this later on in the series. But that encounter with the demon made me shudder. And I thought about this. Do you know what makes demons shudder? That made me shudder, but do you know what makes demons shudder? It's God. God makes them shudder. Take a look at your final verse, James 2, verse 19. This is so good. You ought to memorize this one or highlight this one or remember it and come back to it over and over. I love this one. James wrote, you believe that God is one, you do well. You believe in God, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Demons believe in God and they shudder. Here's what's so extraordinary about this verse, I think. And that is this verse tells us that demons have faith. Isn't that crazy? Demons have faith. They, demons believe in God. They believe in God. And the reason why demons believe in God is because demons were once angels in heaven, which means they were there. They were there when God created the, the universe. They saw what he did. They were present in the throne room of God. They saw Jesus high and lifted up. They witnessed his power as he squashed their rebellion and hurled them down to earth. They know that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords and the Prince of Peace. They believe that Jesus came as a man to earth. Remember, they tried to kill him. They tried to kill him, and they, they believe he died on a cross for our sins. It was their leader, Satan, who entered Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. And they saw his might when God raised Jesus from the dead. And so demons believe. They believe in God, and it's no wonder they shudder, and they should. Now, this is almost embarrassing. This is almost embarrassing because in a lot of ways, their faith puts our faith to shame. Their faith puts our shame, faith to shame. You see, in the, in the demonic realm, think about this, in the demonic realm, there's no such thing as a lukewarm demon. Right? There's no such thing as a backslidden demon. There's no such thing as a wishy-washy, half-hearted, sitting on the spiritual fence demon. Every demon is all in. 100% of them are 100% committed to Satan. 100% of them are 100% committed to the fight against God. 100% of them are 100% committed to take, taking as many people to hell as they can with them. 100% of them are 100% committed to making your life as miserable as they can and to take you down. 100% of them, 100% of the time. And they don't just show up on Sundays. They're all in 100% of them, 100% of the time. Wouldn't it be something if every Christ follower in church was as committed to Jesus as they are, as they are to the devil? And sadly, that's not the case. Sadly, I heard that during this pandemic, more Christ followers have walked away from the faith than probably at any other time in history. More people have walked away than ever before. Church, I want to challenge you to step up your commitment to Christ. Step it up. Now is the time to step it up. Now is the time to get serious about God because everything is on the line. If you're not already get serious about God, I'm praying that we will all get to a place, that the people of South Bay will get to a place well, we will shudder at the thought of God, not like the demons do, but in a reverential kind of way, that we would fear God, right? Which would cause us, for example, to fall at our feet and fall on our faces to worship him because of who he is. 
Shudder at the thought of who God is in a reverential way so that, that we would turn away from sin because our God is a holy God. I'm praying that we would become so heartbroken over the fact that Jesus suffered and he was crucified and he was bloodied and he was beaten on our behalf that the very mention of the name Jesus would make us weep. That's my prayer. So church, remember this. We're at war. So be all in. Be all in for Jesus. Let today, if you're not already, let today be the day when you decide 100% of you is for Jesus 100% of the time. Well, let's close our time in prayer. Father, there's so many things that are on my mind. So many things that I want to pray for that I don't even know where to begin. God, there's no one like you. Thank you. Father, thank you for, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for saving us and for loving us. We thank, you, we thank you for being so patient with us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who suffered and died on a cross so that we could have eternal life and so that our sins could be forgiven. We thank you for the church and we thank you that you allow us to gather together because we really do need each other in this world that we live in, which is afflicted with war. Father, today, will you let today be the first day of the rest of our lives in the sense that we will sign up, we will surrender ourselves to your authority and your lordship. And from this day, we will resolve to live for you. Father, do a work in us. If we have been lukewarm. If we're at a place we're not even serving you, get us to a place where we will live for you from this day forward. If we don't, afraid to tell anybody about you, get us to a place where we are willing to, to scream and proclaim the name of Jesus because there's no other name like his. So Lord, do a work in us. And Father, thank you so much that the victory was won over Satan and all his minion, it was one at the cross when Jesus died for us and was raised from the dead. Thank you for the victory that was won when he conquered death. All the more reason well, we can go out in the world and have no fear but live for you. So, God, we give ourselves to you fresh and anew. Do work in us that 100% of us will be 100% committed to you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.